Himalaya. You're listening to the Lighthouse by One World Group, a Himalaya learning audio course. To leave your comments, view our show notes, and other resources from our guests, visit our show website at www.oneworldgroup.com forward slash lighthouse. Be sure to also check out all of the other awesome exclusive content in the Himalaya app or on Himalaya.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lighthouse by One World Group. This is our first episode of our podcast series, and I have the privilege of introducing you guys to one of my partners, Timothy Shai. Before I do that, just wanted to give you guys a background about how we came to record this podcast in the first place and why we're here with you guys. So, you know, when, when COVID started in China in early 2020, we started getting bombarded with questions about investing, but also stuff that just concerned everyday people about their personal financial situation, their kids' education, on and on and on. I mean, our company works with thousands of global investors in real estate investments, and we started to notice a lot of common themes. So we thought, you know, why not turn these topics into a podcast and really see if we can bring some of the the solutions and the discussions to a broader audience. And so we named it The Lighthouse because the idea was to help listeners um, navigate these choppy waters that we all seem to find ourselves in these days. So without further ado, the first episode is with uh, Tim. He is one of my partners at One World Group. He is uh, a lawyer by training with uh, a legal background and a very sharp mind. He started his career at Cravath and you know, did a lot of work with top security firms and fund firms. Um, and he's got a ton of Asia perspective and experience with global investors. So he really understands how investors are thinking about uncertainty and how you know the people are, are really looking for um, the type of the type of answers that are not being provided by big picture macro podcasts. Um, and so I wanted to bring him to, to this podcast today to talk about these day-to-day issues that you know a lot of our investors, a lot of you may care about, but you know may not be addressed. So, Welcome, Tim. It's great to have you. Thanks, Lily. Appreciate the uh, introduction. I'm looking forward to the rest of the episodes for sure. Since it's the first episode, I thought it might make sense for me to also introduce yourself a little bit. So I'll, I'll just do it for you. So you know you won't be too embarrassed. Uh, but you know, as you know, as, as some people know, and specifically me, as I know, uh, you have a highly sophisticated investment background as well. Uh, you started your career at Goldman Sachs, where you oversaw some massive banking transactions. And later at Hedge Fund in New York, where you manage hundreds of millions in a global portfolio. I think most importantly, and I think relevant today, is that you were able to generate uh, relatively massive positive returns during the 08 financial crisis. And I think this was really due to your keen ability to understand complex macro and microeconomics and take the appropriate actions to create, a, to create value even during that difficult period. And as you know, we're in a difficult period now, and I think we're aiming to do the same. Thank you for that introduction. And uh, yeah, I mean, the 08 and 09 crisis, that was a that was a pretty crazy period. And, and it really, really, you know, touches upon the uncertainty and just flashbacks of the uncertainty that we're, we're facing today. And so, you know, thank you for that introduction of background. And so today's topic is really just uncertainty. There are so many predictions right now about 
COVID-19, about recovery, about elections. Um, people love predictions, right? It's like, it, but, you know, to me, I, I feel like it's a false sense of security. And lots of folks have asked, you know, which recessions can be a guide for this time. And certainly because I did okay um, through the 08 crisis, you know, I'm getting a lot of like, what can you do to help me make money through this one, right? And so, you know, Howard Marks earlier this year discussed this concept in depth, um, which is more an industry jargon. But the gist is you really cannot predict something you haven't experienced before. And using similar forecasts in a hugely different context, it, it's just not going to work. Um, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think the, the answer is, you know, simple, like, you know, the future right now is, is unknowable. And the reason is because COVID is a pandemic of unprecedented proportions in modern history. So, you know, I think we can sort of point to uh, six reasons why that's true uh, and the impact of it. I think the first is uh, the extent of the damage to both the health and psyche of the global population is unmeasurable and uncertain. The economic toll is uh, yet to be seen. That's number two. Number three, there's been unprecedented liquidity pumping by the feds. Uh, specific to the U.S., but also globally. Um, number four, uh, there's been a large dissemination of, you know, information, uh, so not all of which is true. So that may, that impacts people's decisions in their, you know, personal life, investment life, every aspect of their life. Number five, uh, social unrest with recent protests in the U.S. and in other countries have have impacted people as well. And finally, number six, uh, you know, here here we're having our election year in November, and that's going to be, um, you know, that's going to be somewhat uncertain as well. So I think that this uh, leads us to the conclusion that there's simply nothing to compare to, nothing to model after. This crisis is unique and new. Wow. Well, you take all these factors together and you try to make decisions for yourself and your family. It gets even trickier, right? Like you may agree with every one of those things and then you're like, shoot. What do I what do I do for 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 my family? Because every family has different needs and priorities. So take investing, right? The bottom line is that successful investors want to make money, and they want to make money by profiting off the future. So they need an edge to analyze this future, which leads to what I call an addiction to prediction. Right? What's the stock market? What's the polls? What's you know the spread on basketball? I don't know, et cetera, et cetera. But most people, especially through social media algorithms, um, look for information they want to hear, which while it's comforting, it, it's, it doesn't, it perhaps doesn't form an objective view of the future, right? So how do you, how do you think about that? Like where everybody's desperate for some kind of, pre, like, a, uh, I guess, reliable prediction, but all those factors that you just named, it, it makes this completely, it's just a totally different animal from what we've seen before makes this crisis different. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's a, there's a quote from Mark Twain that's particularly appropriate here. And it's, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in forecasting. And the reality is that investors look to us to give them certainty. You know, they push us to demonstrate our expertise by providing these forecasts. But in my opinion, there's two issues with this. In the present, it doesn't help. You know, it provides a false sense of security because the because any prediction takes time to realize, and by the time we're determined to be right or wrong, you know the, the decision's already been made, and it was made under false comfort. Number two, uh, you know, predictions are not personalized. For example, I mean, I could tell one of our investors that you know your kid's going to major in the creative arts, 
enjoy a fulfilling career and it'll pay off all their student loans and put them in a stable financial situation. And also their roof will spring a leak. But when that happens, home equity loans will be harder for them to, you know, so to better realize stock gains and prepare funds for the required capital fix. You know, that would be helpful. But the reality <laughs> is that, you know, we're not psychics. We can't give that level of, you know, you know, there's, we can't give that level of prediction. Yeah, that would be really helpful. Perhaps we should all pay psychics or something. Just kidding. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, the, the bespoke aspect of prediction is something that is sorely missing if predictions can be relied on at all. And so when you've had direct conversations with our international investors, um, especially the Asian ones, you know, you've had more of these conversations than I have. How, how do the how do these conversations go? Do they usually leave feeling better? I mean, we've had almost no redemptions. So I know you're doing something right, right? So like, how how are you talking to them through these these crises and these questions, which always kind of seem to push us to give them some sort of prediction? I think what we do is we 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 strive to give them a framework that they can make decisions under than to come up with some meaningless prediction. Uh, we want to give people objective methods to evaluate their own situation and act on action items to help them move forward, regardless of any forecasts. And I think that if you're operating through a framework, uh, it gives you it gives you an opportunity to feel comfortable in your decision-making process uh, versus just acting on something because somebody tells you so. So what does that look like? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I think the first step is to be realistic with them. Uh, this is a drastic difference from your typical investment actor saying invest in this company because you know it's going to generate a lot of profit. Uh, it's important to move them away from seeking confidence through predictions and to get them more comfortable with uncertainty. It's okay not to know. It's it's just it's worse to be certain about the wrong things. Um, and following from there, you know, the second step is to educate them. Since our expertise is real estate, and investors' initial touch point with us is how best to invest in real estate. The traditional approach is to buy and hold property, which is a great way to increase hard assets in your portfolio and have some cash flow. But we also educate them on the value of investing in real estate development, where you turn on less valuable assets such as land or mismanaged property into something more valuable through development, renovation, improvement. In this way, they can understand the options available to them and they can determine uh, you know, when they determine their investment allocation. So um, the final step then is to really determine their objective. Uh, just a few examples here for, you know, we, for, for instance, we had one investor that was interested in real estate because uh, of investment purposes, but also because their child was going to school in the U.S. and wanted a place for them to live. So this is a clear example of where buying property makes sense. You know, you derive value from holding the asset and you also get the value of using the asset. You know, another mm -hmm. instance, an investor was concerned about their domestic stock portfolio, you know, which held the majority of their assets, but was underperforming. So they wanted to allocate a portion of their investments into real estate, but didn't want the exposure of owning a single home in a single location. And they also didn't really have a large pool of capital and needed to buy multiple real estate properties. So for this investor, diversified investment into a real estate fund uh, is able to address these pain points and deliver the exposure that this type of investor wanted. I see. So it seems like we really tailor our potential real estate investments to meet each individual's needs. Just, you know, as a plug for our for, for our business and what we do. Like I think the bespoke asset really the bespoke asset model really helps people feel validated and, and heard in their needs, which makes them more receptive to our framework of thinking um, and understanding the process that we put forth in, in in everything that we do on the investment side. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We we want people to be self-sufficient. And this is why the framework is so important. For the people that get it, they're able to make informed decisions for themselves, their families, and ultimately their legacy. 
right? Many investors are very defensive and reactive, meaning they spook easily and overreact to news cycles. In almost all cases, this does not benefit the investor. You know, it trains them to buy when news is extremely positive, which is at the top of the market, and sell when news is negative at the, at the bottom of the market. So we like to train our clients to see things differently, to see the opportunities available during the challenging times, and to see the potential risks and pitfalls during the quote-unquote good times. Gotcha. So as Albert Einstein once said, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. You mentioned many investors are defensive, which is, of course, important to protect yourself. But in itself, it's, it's just not a complete strategy. It's important to have both a defensive and an offensive strategy when making these important decisions. Um, and so I guess, you know, I just want to take a step back and, and, and say that a lot of times when we when we talk to these guys, some of the conversations that I've had um, that are not as, I guess, intensive about investment, um, we actually say, you know, set aside some time in the day to be both defensive and offensive. So like in the mornings, trim your expenses, evaluate your memberships, you know, evaluate your spending patterns and credit cards. Think about your housing situation. Can you refi? Can you take advantage of these rates? Do you want to size up, size down? Think about what fits. And then in the afternoon, you know, figure out if your career track makes sense. Revamp your resume. Look at your liquidity needs. Order your assets from the most liquid to the least liquid. You know, create a budget going forward. And so I think, you know, it, it's, it's important to kind of be defensive while playing the offensive so that you feel the forward momentum in your life, especially right now with so limited, uh, with such limited social interactions. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, a holistic approach is always what we're striving for. A, a little preparation and thoughtfulness goes a long way when making investment decisions. Unfortunately, it sounds obvious, but not everyone does that. Yeah, it definitely takes practice and discipline. So changing gears a bit, I, I've been asked a lot about the current global economic situation in comparison to past crises, such as 2008 or, you know, the Great Depression. So while this time around, things are very different, we've covered that there are lessons that we can still learn from the recent crises. So for example, what lessons from 2008 do you think are relevant to today's dynamics? I think the lesson is to, is to focus on the facts. And this goes back to that whole discussion on prediction versus uh, preparing. Try not to predict, instead prepare with the information at hand. So depending mm. on people's situations, there are indicators that may help, right? So for example, um, you know, right now there's lots of quantitative, quantitative easing. What's the what's the typical result? Well, inflation will eventually happen. Uh, you know, so you know you have to look at the investor reality. If you have sufficient funds now, but if you're worried about asset performance in the future, you need to have a framework uh, for preparation. So I think the key here is to focus on productive assets. So what what do you mean by productive? Let's let's dig a little deeper here. Uh, well, I think you got to think about what what an, what any asset can do for you. When, if you're going to make an investment to an asset, what can it do for you? And when I say you, I mean I mean you specifically. So, for example, if you have a pile of cash or a pile of gold, you know what's it doing there? You know, in a few years, it's still just going to be a physical pile of that same thing. It's storing value, but the value may not be the same as when you made that pile. On the other hand, if you had say an apartment complex, it will still be there as well. But in the meantime, it'll be generating rental income. So for example, if less people can afford homes, more people want to rent. That will drive a demand for rental properties, which means that the apartment's productivity could get a nice tailwind. I see. Okay, so if short of like wanting cash to swim through like Scrooge McDuck, it's just not that productive if it sits there. Let me push this a little bit. So wouldn't stocks also be a productive asset then? 
because you know at the end of the day these are companies creating widgets that people want to buy so if you and this is a big if pick the right widget company it'd be a good asset right it's a, it's a good productive asset no uh, well, yes, yes, and no. Um, you know, the reality is that stocks move according to the market, and the market is driven by a variety of factors beyond any pure measure of productivity. You know, there's of course always going to be value investors that look at the underlying fundamentals of a company, but there's also many other entities operating in stock markets, such as quants, you know, algorithmic funds, ETFs. And similar groups that drive transaction volumes, and not that's not to mention index movements and sort of broad sentiment. So these all these factors mm. all influence the market, and they're not necessarily based on any measure of productivity. I see. I guess also, I guess when I think about it, when when a stock is taking private, taken private, a company, it's usually bought out at a premium, which means that the buyers now can assert control. So that implies that a public stock, a public company, if you just buy a stock, you, you don't have control in the public markets. So for things like real estate from the micro approach, right? I can renovate my kitchen and bath because that'll increase the value of homes. That'll, uh, you know, to a wider approach. If I take one property that I can tailor to a renter's need and I could generate income, that's even better. And then broaden out even more. Right. If I could do this across lots of assets by investing in mandated funds that exert control in the way that I agree with, that's even better. Versus, you know, if I just think, oh, a stock could be a productive asset, but buying it in the public markets, I just don't have any control over its performance and over its growth. Yeah. So, so think about control, right? And, and how can you use control to create productive value, like in the apartment example above? So like, if I were like a private equity investor owned a company, right, I can make it more efficient. I could check out the management, replace them, evaluate them. I could look at my suppliers in the market. I could change pricing. I could develop new business, but you know, it, it, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Right. So um, same with the apartment, right. right. But not if I own the company, just not, but only if I own the company, not just the stock. Exactly. So, I mean, if you did not own the company, you know, and own the stock, as you say, you, you can't do any of those things. So it could be a productive asset or it could not, but either way, you have no control. Yeah. So we like the productive assets over which there's a good amount of control. Yes. That if it fits the investor, uh, that it would be an example of an asset that could work well through inflation and, and uncertainty. Yeah. Gotcha. So this is keeping in mind the broader trends. So controlling something like a multifamily apartment in a town where young people are leaving and jobs are disappearing. Maybe not so smart, right? You've, you've got control. Uh, you can make it as pretty as you want, but you know the macro factors are really big headwinds and those are out of your control. So then you have to understand how to navigate the factors that you can't control. Knowing what you can't control is also key. Exactly. I, th I think it's important to distinguish between the sphere of influence and the sphere of concern. The latter is often bigger than the former. So information is key here. Yeah, gotcha. So if, if specific to real estate, right, I'll be talking to a variety of experts who, who have gathered huge amounts of data and specialize in identifying these trends. I think that's going to be very interesting 
because using their data and understanding demographics and understanding the broader macro factors could help our listeners figure out, you know, if, if they want a productive asset over which they have a lot of control, which markets to look at. So that should be, that should be some really helpful, uh, cool advice. Yeah, I look forward to the guest episodes. Uh, you've got some really great people joining and they're going to give applicable real world advice. Yep, really excited. So this is great. Let's so to summarize. We need to let's all get comfortable with uncertainty um, because it's better than being totally certain and wrong. Lots of the experts may be smart, but it's hard to figure out who they are. It's even harder to figure out how to make it relevant to the everyday person. Um, instead of depending on predictions, it's better to gather tools to make good decisions to start with. And then start with understanding your personal goals and needs um, as, a, as a driving strategy. And then using an offensive, a defensive offensive action plan will help a lot of our listeners and certainly have helped a lot of our investors move forward and just maintain some kind of forward movement through uncertainty. And then when you look for assets um, in uncertainty, think about what's productive and what's unproductive for you. And think about the degree of control that you would like to have and that you can have within a, within the broader context. And so, you know, I think it's important to keep in mind what is personal to you right now and then broaden that out to reflect trends that will work in the future. Um, and so, you know, I think, of course, one of the tools is using the Lighthouse, using this podcast, uh, and using the expert advice that we'll be providing here. And yeah, I just want to add one more thing. Um, I think it's in times of uncertainty that great opportunities are both the hardest to find, you know, because of all yeah. the noise and the most valuable, you know, because of the inevitable market recovery. So this goes back to our learnings from 08. Back then, all of us, and specifically you, Lily, with your hedge fund portfolio and ourselves being able to acquire and transact distressed assets and foreclosure assets at massive discounts, you know, we were able to outsize, we were able to realize outsized value. And so the key learning mm -hmm. for me is to remain, remain optimistic, even in the hard times, focus on what matters and block out the noise. In this way, you can make the right or at least the most informed decisions. The worst is making reactive decisions out of fear. Gotcha. Uh, I remember my, my first day at the trading desk at Goldman and, you know, my mentor said, you know, you got to remember three things, no fear, no greed, no hope. You buy, sell based on any of those three emotions, you're you're doomed. You're doomed to fail. <laughs> yeah. So I want to end on a couple of questions that I'll be asking all of our guests, if that's okay. Sure. Um, it's going to lighten the mood. Um, yeah. Right now, what's what's keeping you up at night? Uh, well, I'm not sure if that's going to lighten the mood, at least that first question. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think I think for most uh, for most of us and for me specifically, it's, it's really going to be health concerns. And, you know, specifically my mom, uh, who's a, who's a bit older and you know, has some pre-existing conditions. So obviously in the current environment, um, just want to make sure she's healthy and safe. Gotcha. Um, and then what gives you hope? I guess for me, it would just be, you know, other people, you know, the stories we hear of people in the front lines, you know, and also the people supporting on the back lines, the stories of communities and neighbors helping and supporting each other. So, you know, these types of things that are happening on a daily basis all around us, it really, you know, really makes me optimistic in the resilience of humankind. You are an optimist, I realize. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's something that's made you happy recently? 
Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, I think we've, we've all been given a gift a little bit of having um, more time and specifically more time at home. So I think that, you know, for me, you know, I think we're all, we're all busy and definitely, you know, when things were um, quote unquote normal, you know, oftentimes we were so busy focused on work and, you know, whatever we're, you know, doing for our jobs and our career and, you know, maybe not as much time with, with our families. So, you know, what makes me happy now is, you know, being able to spend more time with my family and just having them there and uh, supportive of each other. So, yeah, that's definitely something that's been a stark change to, to the busy days where you're, you're away from your, like for me, our kids most of the day. But it's a double-edged sword when you're homeschooling. <laughs> that's yeah. a different episode. Yeah. Um, what are you doing to improve yourself these days? Um, you know, I think just staying healthy, uh, keeping active, and just maintaining a positive mental state. Yeah. That's a toughie. But, you know, like I think one of the things is trusting the process. So, you know, if there's something that, you know, for, for you, it's staying healthy and not working out. Maybe for me, it's... It's watching people eat delicious food or whatever. At the end of the day, <laughs> nice. I think, you know, it's the, it's the little things because there's so much bad news out there um, that we sometimes forget to, you know, pick our heads up and, and see what's what's good around us. Um, so, yeah. you know, yeah, just I think for our listeners out there, you know, thank you for for joining us today. This word will end on a positive note. I think we're really excited to go on this journey with you. We're really excited to bring you some uh, awesome people who are here to to give some real actionable advice that is hopefully very, very relevant to your life and what you're going through. Um, and if you have any questions, any comments, contact us, comment, email us, engage with us on the webpage. Um, comment on the show notes and you know hopefully we can grow through this together and get through this better and stronger so thank you tim for your time today thank you thank you everybody who's listening and uh, i look forward to our future episodes thanks Lily. all right take care thank you for listening to this episode of the lighthouse a himalaya learning audio course be sure to check out all of the other awesome exclusive content on the Himalaya app or on Himalaya.com. To leave your comments, view our show notes and other resources from our guests, visit our show website at www.oneworldgroup.com forward slash lighthouse.